Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And for the few of you out there who still don't know who we are, well, we're a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You, which Lynn is holding up now, which is available in the States and in the UK. It's also an award-winning website, wddty.com. And best of all, you can subscribe to What Doctors, and we send it to your home and your letterbox every single month. So well worth investigating if you haven't yet done so. And anywhere in the world. In, yes, and anywhere in the world. We'll send it anywhere in the world. Um, so let's crack on with the news. Breastfeeding. If you're a young mum and you can breastfeed, do. Because your breast milk will give your child lifelong immunity. Now it's extraordinary, isn't it, that as a race we've been breastfeeding our, our offspring for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years. Who knows? Who knows? And yet science has only now started to discover what it contains. And the assumption had always been that mum's milk was just passing on antibodies or proteins to the baby, and they were only as good as the baby breastfed. So the minute the baby stopped breastfeeding, it stopped getting the benefit. Well, that's just not true, because there's new research carried out that demonstrates that the milk is actually passing on immune cells to the baby that last a lifetime. And no one had actually realised this until researchers from Birmingham University in the UK did a test to, do, to make this discovery. And uh, what they found was that the, um, a mother who may, for example, had picked up an infection, built up her own uh, antibodies, her own immune response to the infection before she's pregnant. And then uh, once she is pregnant and breastfeeding, those immune cells pass on to her offspring. I mean, the, the test was actually carried out uh, amongst laboratory mice. It should be should be uh, pointed out, but nonetheless, they believe it's just as valid and would replicate in, in human uh, stub, uh, studies. And they were testing on a, a strange thing called hel helmiths, which is a type of parasitic worm. And uh, these uh, mice have been infected with this before they were pregnant, and they discovered, the researchers discovered, that this milk that they were feeding their babies with contained all those immune cells that gave their, their, their babies natural protection against the, these parasites. And, um, you know, it was just a test on these, these uh, strange worms, but, you know, there's every reason to believe that there, any infection that the, the mother might have picked up in, in earlier life uh, would, would uh, generate this immune response, which would be passed on to the babes. So we don't really know just how protective breast milk is. But, you know, having understood now the mechanism, there's every chance that many, many infectious diseases actually can be protected against naturally through breast milk. Well, this is extraordinary research. And it's amazing that we remain so ignorant mm. of breast milk, which is why for decades, when the, you know, when the um, uh, powdered milk and formula business mm. came along, their favorite line was, breast is best, but bottle feeding's just as good. Yeah. That was my favorite <laughs> line. And to this day, they're now trying to say that 
choosing not to breastfeed is a feminist issue. I think this is a crazy use of the word feminist. And I say that as somebody who is a feminist myself, because we're really talking about, well, what's basically best for your child? And doctors and nurses collude in this in allowing women at a very vulnerable place, you know, right after they've given birth, to stop breastfeeding. Now we know it's not just about proteins and bottle feeding can no way be just as good because you're not passing on any kind of immunity. Um, so this is one more piece of what I see as just complete ignorance around breastfeeding that needs to be encouraged. The problem with most women is because they are vulnerable and they're in that place uh, where it's difficult to begin with, they give up. Whereas if they had a breastfeeding coach like from La Leche League, where they show you what to do and they help you at that time, it turns out to be pretty simple. You know, once you get past the knack of it, it's pretty simple and it's easy and it's hygienic and it's, you know, and now we know it's just so essential for giving your child the best start in life, something that isn't just a start, it's something that lasts through his, his or her life. So, you know, okay, there are some people out there who genuinely can't breastfeed, but I think doctors and nurses have to start really encouraging this and helping, helping women along to achieve this. As well, we need more research about how long we're supposed to carry on with it yeah. because that's another big myth. And people think, and, and oftentimes doctors, foist on women formula milk because they think the babies aren't growing fast enough, you know, against some chart, basically. And along with a lot of ignorance about how much weight a child should be gaining when they're exclusively breastfed. So I feel all of this, given that we usually see a batch of young kids, you know, five-year-olds in school sucking their thumbs, one has to answer and ask the question, did, did they get breastfed long enough? And should we all be understanding a mm. lot more about this issue? Well, we don't seem to understand anything about it. Exactly. I mean, it, I mean, it is exactly. extraordinary, isn't it? One of the early things we did as a species was breastfeed. And only now they're beginning to explore, well, what does the milk even contain? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, anyway, right. Thanks, yes. Lynn. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Very you. <laughs> what do we know about autism? Well, surprisingly little. We know it's an epidemic and the numbers seem to be increasing all the time. Um, but what causes it? Well, no one's really sure even now. As you know, at one point the MMR vaccine was fingered, but uh, the manufacturers assure us that's not the problem. So what causes it? Well, of course, um, neurologists and folk like that have been looking in the brain to find the answer. And uh, new research out of Australia says, you're looking in the wrong place, mate. It's all in the gut. And it's quite fascinating. Researchers at the university uh, in, in Melbourne um, say that they've discovered the same gene mutations in the gut that are also in the brain of autistic children. So what they don't quite know is where does it start, but they suggest it probably does begin in the gut and uh, then passes to the brain. 
And um, you know, the clue that got them going on this was the, that uh, around about 90% of autistic children suffer from quite severe gastrointestinal problems. And that got them thinking, well, are we looking in the wrong place? Let's not look at the brain. Let's look at the gut and see what we see. And this gene mutation came up. And um, it, the, the actual mutation seems to affect the, the neural uh, connections that take place in the brain, which sort of could explain why autism happens in that case. Um, and it's specifically to do with the way the neurons interact with each other. They say like Velcro, so they stick together and they stay in close contact. But when this mutation occurs, this good stickiness isn't quite so sticky. And so there isn't the same connection going on. And um, it sort of affects many things, this, this mutation, apart from seeming to be linked to autism possibly causing autism, it also affects the way the gut processes food and the way the gut contracts, um, the, the speed that food moves through the intestine. So a number of factors at play here, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And now they feel they are actually a step closer to actually finding a, a resolution for autism. What caused it, what causes the gene mutation in the first place? They don't hazard a guess, they don't say, but if they can just get this mutation figured out, they're well on the way to solving the autism epidemic. Well, this is really interesting um, because as you say, you have to start asking the question, well, why do we have all of, if, if a genetic mutation causes it, how come we have an epidemic of genetic mutations? Mm. Because so many children now have autism or are on the spectrum. I mean, it's just unbelievably epidemic. Now, remember, this is a really important point. Poor Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who has been demonized for his view that the MMR may have been the cause of autism in the children he was seeing, started seeing those children because he is a gastroenterologist. And as a gastroenterologist, he kept seeing pediatric cases of children with severe gut problems and who also presented with autism. And so it was the gut problems that made him first get involved because that is his specialty. But he started making an apparent link between MMR and the gut issues and autism because of the time issues, that these were all children who, who were developing normally with normal gut situation. And, um, and as soon as they had that vaccine, it caused these aberrations in the gut. And then there was the immediate development of autistic symptoms. Mm -hmm. So what we may be looking at, and we will never know if we shut down this investigation. If we decide, no, it can't be the vaccine, no, it absolutely can't be this, that, or the other, we will never know what's causing this epidemic. And so what's really important, I think, is to at least investigate this gut link, the potential link with a vaccine or vaccines. 
or a triple live vaccine or some aspect of it that is switching on this mutation or in some way, you know, causing it. Mm. And that's the big question we have to ask. Well, I think the sort of closest I heard to a concession to Wakefield was that these children had a proclivity mm-hmm. to this uh, mutation and that at worst the vaccine accelerated the process which would have happened anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since then, they've stepped away even from that position, of course, and said, well, it's got absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. But, I mean, I think for a lot of parents who have autistic children, I mean, this is wonderful news. This is a genuine breakthrough. This is a real step on the road to finding a solution, which I think, you know, we have to praise and say fantastic news. Well done, RMIT University in Melbourne. Um, indigestion tablets. I think we all pop them for heartburn, indigestion, otherwise known as antacids, sometimes known as proton pump inhibitors or PPIs. Um, yeah, they're sort of handed out willy-nilly. Doctors are accused of actually prescribing them for no real good reason. And that often does happen. And they prescribe them in vast numbers. I mean, uh, research here found that people were getting 90-day packs of them. So they're popping them almost on a daily basis uh, just to help them digest their food. And uh, new research says, you know, they really shouldn't because these drugs are killers. Um, They estimate that they're killing four out of every hundred people, four percent of people who, who regularly take a PPI or proton pump inhibitor. Um, They don't directly kill you, but what they do is cause circulation disorders, heart problems, and even stomach cancer, which isn't surprising because it is affecting the acid levels in in your stomach, which do eventually kill you. Um, So um, they said the actual number was 45.2 excess deaths for every 1,000 people who are taking them. Um, you know, the PPIs have been fingered for a few other problems along the way before this research was done. They've also been found to cause kidney injury, dementia, gastric cancer, cancer and uh, osteoporosis and, and, and bone fractures as a result. So Washington University School of Medicine researchers took a look at a U.S. veterans database involving 405,000 people and... Um, who had been prescribed a PPI for the first time, and uh, compared them against 177,000 people who'd been given a, a different uh, sort of... Uh, no, I beg, beg your pardon, got that bit wrong. 405,000 veterans were prescribed for the drug, and then 177,000 of those have been prescribed the drug for a 90-day supply. Enormous, enormous mm. length of time. And then they compared them against 56,000 people who've been prescribed an H2 blocker, which is another sort of indigestion drug. And uh, they followed them over a 10-year period and and drew this comparison with the PPI uh, being the the main cause of death for, as I say, 4% of those who did die over that period. Um, The main problem was circulatory problems, which accounted for 38% of the deaths, and cancers, and I think mainly gastric cancer, which caused 29% of deaths. And as they say, you know, these drugs are just really are just handed out like sweets by doctors. Mm-hmm. They prescribe on a massive level. Uh, and often, you know, previous researchers said often for no good cause. I mean, they, they, it's just see, almost seen as a benign 
uh, lifestyle drug that just helps you digest your food. And the researchers at Washington say, you know, it really has to stop. These are dangerous. Well, and this is another sort of using an elephant gun to kill a flea type of approach mm. um, that medicine has to indigestion. First of all, there's the misunderstanding that it's too much acid. They think it's acid indigestion. Usually people have indigestion because they have too little stomach acid. You need a very acidic environment to digest your food. The other thing people lack, particularly as they get older, are, um, are sort of pepsin and a bunch of other digestive enzymes. Um, so usually the best solution to indigestion is, um, is taking digestive enzymes and um, HCL, hydrochloric acid. And that addition usually gets rid of these symptoms of indigestion. But there are other things that could be going on here. And one of them is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, causing, you know, indigestion and gas and, you know, reflux and all of that. So that really should be investigated. But if you suspect that's the issue, there are lots of ways to get rid of it. But one of the very simple ways to get rid of all of this is activated charcoal. Mm. made from coconut shells, Brian. Mm. I mean, that is a miracle worker for regularizing your digestive system in the short term. Mm. So while you find out what the real cause of the problem is, but taking those digestive enzymes, HCL, and if it still persists, activated charcoal will do you no harm and work a whole lot better than a PPI. Great. Thanks, Dan. Keep out of the sun. The safe sun uh, policy says keep out the sun at all costs, stay in the shade. Ah, and, um, you know, especially in northern climes, you know, this is dubious advice because we get so little sun and we really do need sun on our skins. And uh, not only uh, does it do all the usual good things for us because vitamin D is such a vital uh, nutrient, it's actually found to not only cause cancer, but if you do ha already have cancer, it reduces your risk of dying from the disease. And um, so whether it's sunbathing, the researchers have also looked at uh, taking vitamin D supplements and eating foods which are rich in the vitamins, which include eggs and red meat, they all help you survive cancer because the vitamin seems to have this protective effect against the disease. Um, it also seems to protect against heart disease and diabetes, as well as strengthening our bones. <laughs> so, and of course, the trouble is, when they, they looked at the figures, the researchers found that, in fact, the vast majority of us are deficient in the vitamin, especially if the, those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere, as most of us do. Um, and, you know, even when the sun does come out, safe sun health guidelines tell us to run into the into the shade. But being deficient uh, of this vitamin makes us more liable to a range of diseases and doubles our risk of getting pancreatic cancer. 
So it's quite interesting. There's been a number of studies that have come out which have just been featured in the um, American Society of Clinical Oncology's annual conference. There have been three papers presented looking at vitamin D and how vital it is. Um, and, uh, for example, Madrid University found that uh, it reduces the risk of, or rather reduces deaths from prostate cancer by 38%. And uh, another university found that um, a vitamin D deficiency doubles the risk for pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, um, before I pass over to you, Lynn, it's um, our Save Some policy. Do you know what it was based on? Australia. One of the hottest places and most sun-drenched places in the world. And they apply exactly the same disciplines to places like North America, Canada and Britain. And of course, the sun is nowhere near as strong. Mm. And we do need to get a little bit of sun, as these research papers demonstrate. Yeah, I mean, governments have really got this one wrong. I mean, in worrying about skin cancer, they haven't really looked very closely at um, commercial um, sunscreens which have been linked to more cases of cancer mm. because of a lot of the chemicals in the, in the products. Um, but also just the idea that you've got to slather this stuff on before you've had any exposure. And so our usual advice is to sit out in the sun in, uh, in the morning before the hottest part of the day Um, And make sure that you're out there and you get some exposure until your skin turns a little bit red, just a little bit red. But you've got to watch that so you don't get really sunburned. Mm. But making sure that your skin really has an adequate dose is is very important. Mm. So even 10, 15 minutes, a half an hour can do you the world of good. So it seems. Thanks, Lynn. Don't often feel sorry for drug companies, it must be said, but (laughs) spare a thought today to Bayer because they are the guys who bought up Monsanto last autumn and part of the great library of goodies that Monsanto produce is Roundup, one of the world's most successful and popular weed killers. The trouble is it seems to cause cancer. And certainly a court has just agreed with that view and has awarded damages of $2 billion, yes, I'll say that again, $2 billion to a couple who had used Roundup for about 20 years and who've gone on to develop non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So why should I be so sorry for Bayer? Well, because there are another 13,000 <laughs> cases in the wings ready to be uh, heard by the courts. And uh, a lawyer who's close to the case says, yeah, Monsanto publicly is denying that the Roundup causes cancer, of course, but behind the scenes, they're throwing in the towel and trying to do out-of-court settlements. I mean, The $2 billion is breathtaking. It's not the only settlement for Roundup. Previous awards of $289 million and $18 million have been made to people who develop cancer after using Roundup. And so here we go. I mean, it's... um, um, And what is interesting about this case is that whilst the courts have taken a much more impartial view of the science and have awarded these colossal damages... The Environmental Protection Agency of America seemed quite close to Monsanto and was trying to kill off 
a government review of the product. Hmm. Um, so, and yet, you know, you've got other groups saying it is probably carcinogenic, a study in 2015 confirmed. So, yeah, interesting stuff, Lynn. Well, not surprisingly. I mean, there have been warnings about Roundup uh, glyphosate for many, many years Mm. and evidence of problems. Um, But governments and blocks of governments have caved to the very powerful chemical industries like Monsanto. Um, I'm I'm not surprised about this because even in the regulation-heavy European Union, where we are, um, glyphosate has been allowed uh, to be used and even has been found in babies' disposable diapers. I mean, finally, France has banned those until they're, they get rid of the Roundup that's in there. Mm. Um, so it's really quite shocking. I'm not surprised the EPA is in bed with uh, organizations like Monsanto. I mean, we're finding that regulatory agencies in America are composed of <clears throat> basically industry-friendly folk who also get money for it. Mm. And because our magazine recently did an investigation of candidates for the presidency and and also members of Congress, um, uh, you know, current members of Congress, and who's taken money from the pharmaceutical industry? Well, all of the names, you know, almost everybody is the answer in Congress has taken money mm. from the pharmaceutical industry. Same applies to the chemical industries. These guys know how to get their stuff through, and the way they do it is by greasing the wheels. Mm. So bottom line is never use this stuff Mm. in your garden or your backyard. Never use it. And if you live anywhere close to a farm that uses this stuff, um, either try to educate the farmers or move. Want to live a long life? Then have a reason to live. Sounds pretty obvious, but actually probably less so than you realise. Researchers have just done a study to discover um, whether having a strong life purpose, and they don't actually specify what a strong life purpose is, but you've got to have a reason to be alive, Um, certainly has an enormous impact on how long you live, uh, opposed to people who just get up every day and survive. Um, And they're likely to live... um, Uh, much, much longer and suffer fewer chronic health problems as a result of having this positive outlook. Reason to get up in the morning seems to make all the difference and even keeps inflammation in check, which of course is linked to all sorts of things such as uh, some cancers and heart disease. And um, they looked at about nearly 7,000 people who were aged 50 and older at the time the study started and then asked them to say, well, what do you do? What, what, gets you up in the morning, what what you do you enjoy doing, all the rest of it. Um, they didn't, as I say, didn't really specify what it was they asked and all the rest, but they did find that people who did have that purpose were far, far less likely to die before the age of mid-late 80s than others who really didn't feel there was any point in being alive, didn't have a purpose. Maybe, yeah, maybe they'd lost their partner, maybe they were out of work, maybe they stopped working, 
maybe they didn't have grandchildren. Because I always think it doesn't have to be an amazing thing. No. Um, the closest that the researchers came to uh, an understanding of what is this life purpose was actually a Japanese term called ikigai. Ikigai. Which translates as something to live for, the joy and goal of living itself. Yeah, what do you think? Well, that's been shown in so many studies. Um, uh, I know that there was a study of nurses uh, who were uh, who had lived to a hundred, hmm. and they found that the reason they did was they maintained a sense of curio- curiosity and interest in life. They still had a reason to get up in the morning, and. You know, as you say, that doesn't have to be so powerful. Mm. Uh, A friend of ours, Dr. John Diamond, who is a psychiatrist but has become a holistic practitioner, um, got involved in testing what he called behavioral kinesiology. That's the muscle testing that usually tests for toxic substances. He tested for toxic thoughts, and he found that the most powerful thought of all was the thought of what you were put on this earth to do. Now, that can be being a parent, being a spouse, you know, making a perfect chocolate cake. But as long as you have a reason to be, mm-hmm. and that can also be being of service, which so much evidence shows, um, invites, you know, in, involves um, any kind of service. You know, that involves any kind of service, whether it is just helping your neighbor with his take out his trash in the morning. But doing that kind of doing for others, you know, the science shows people live longer, healthier, happier lives. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our purposes is to do what doctors don't tell you every month, I suppose. So thank you for listening and watching to our life purpose. And there's Lynn Holm, the magazine again. And I'm Brian Hubbard, and I look forward to meeting up with you again very soon. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. See you next time. <laughs>